Welcome to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we share the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. As we dive into another episode of the Courage and Confrontation series, I wanted to remind everyone that you can visit courage.arielministries.com for more details and aggregated content around these teachings on the life and times of Elijah. Now in this episode, we'll follow along as Elijah's fear sets in and he takes flight from the evil Queen Jezebel. Pastor Harris will walk us through Elijah's thinking and actions here. Although Pastor Harris admits along the way that this action bothered him personally, he also explains why we shouldn't be too hard on Elijah here. So with that brief introduction, let's dive into the eighth teaching of the Courage and Confrontation series titled, Elijah's Flight. Let me begin by saying this. Because Elijah... Now, this series, as you know, has been on this man, Elijah. And because he was a true prophet of God, he often faced the enmity of people, as all true prophets do. If you're going to be a true prophet of God, you're going to have opposition. And that was certainly true in the case of this man. But this hatred and enmity doubled when it came to that most wicked of queens, the one we know as Jezebel. Now, let's talk about Jezebel for a moment. She was the daughter of the king of Tyre. And in the Old Testament, the title, the king of Tyre, is often used, especially in the prophetic books, as a euphemism for Satan. It's an interchangeable term. You can have the Bible talking about the king of Tyre in one breath as the king of that Phoenician city. In another breath, it's talking about Satan. And so these are interchangeable terms at times. And she was the daughter of the king of Tyre. So in a sense, this woman was particularly demonic. And when she was told what had happened to her prophets at Mount Carmel, this woman erupted into a state of rage. And when I say rage, I mean rage. This woman was beside herself. And she felt that she had to do something to strike a blow Because of what this man had done to not only the Baal, but also these prophets. And she was determined that she would avenge herself. Now, put your place. Put yourself in her place. Think about these 450 prophets. They had been her spiritual guides from birth. And many of them had been her mentors. Now, considering these things, it's no wonder that she took the execution of her mentors personally. But now here's what I want you to understand about the execution of those 450 prophets of Baal. That's kind of hard for us to stomach in this day and age, isn't it? That they would just take 450 men out and slaughter them. Well, Elijah may have been the one who ordered this mass execution of these prophets. But, beloved, remember this. He did not do this on his own authority. He did it because the law of God required it. You see, according to God's law, the practice of idolatry was a capital offense in those days. So as Elijah saw it, he had no choice but to act as he did. Now, of course, Jezebel didn't recognize either God or God's law, right? She's not even Israelite. She's not Hebrew. She comes from Tyre. So she doesn't recognize God. She doesn't recognize his law. In fact, she seems to have hated Israel's God the great Yahweh of Sinai. And since Elijah was God's prophet, guess what? She hated him also. Two things nagged 
at her. Every time she thought about Elijah, two things nagged at her. In the first place, she saw him as being personally responsible for the awful drought that had devastated the nation. Remember, he had come there to the palace and announced before the king, it ain't going to rain no more, not until I say so. And so she blamed him for that awful drought. And she wanted him to suffer for that. And in the second place, he had made a mockery of her god Baal, and she wanted Elijah to suffer for that. Now, Jezebel has come to be known, I think you all know this, as the wickedest woman that ever lived. But she wasn't forced to become the person she would become. For example, the rage that she had been feeling over the great drought was unnecessary. She didn't have to be filled with anger, hatred, and malice. She could have torn down her idols, called upon Yahweh to send rain, and rain would have fallen. That drought could have been stopped in the first week if she would have been willing to do what was necessary for that drought to be stopped. But she didn't do this. Instead, she hardened her heart and became apostate. You see, Satan had taken up residence in her spirit person, and he began to direct her life. And so the bitter conflict between Jezebel and Elijah had become far more than a battle between two powerful personalities. This conflict was really just one more chapter in that timeless struggle that has been fought ever since the beginning on a cosmic level for thousands of years. You see, the goal of Satan and his minions was to destroy the nation of Israel. It always was it still is. His greatest goal is to destroy those people and that nation. Why? Because the Savior of the world was to come through these people. And God had sworn that when Messiah appeared, he would bruise Satan's head. And so Satan and his emissaries constantly struggled to destroy this nation. Without the nation, there is no womb through which the Messiah could come and do the thing that God had said he would do. You see, Satan knew that if Jezebel, now think about this, if Jezebel could replace Yahweh with Baal, and from that point on, the people of Israel began to worship the Baal, the job would be accomplished, wouldn't it? He would have done what he wanted to do. Everything would have been accomplished. The Israelites would become nothing more than another group of Canaanites, another group of devil worshippers, and this wicked woman was devoted to achieving that goal. You know, there's a false prophetess described in Revelation 2.20 who was disturbing the church at Thyatira. Remember her? What was her name? The risen Christ dictates a letter to that church, and he gives that false prophetess a name. He calls her Jezebel. And it would not shock us that there's a great similarity between Jezebel, the opponent of Elijah, and a great cosmic prostitute known as the great whore of Babylon. And this is what we must know about this whore. She was not a woman. She will not be a woman. She will be a great worldwide economic system controlled by Satan in the last days. And she will make war against Christ and his church. Now the fact that this system would be linked with this woman Jezebel should tell us how truly wicked she actually was.
So when this wicked queen heard what had happened to her prophets, she responded. She called for a servant. And she sent this servant, this messenger to Elijah with these words. The servant said to Elijah, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life as one of them, meaning the prophets of Baal. In other words, Elijah, you're going to die. Get ready. Death is coming to you. Now, any way you look at it, without divine intervention, Elijah wasn't stupid. He knew that his life was soon to be over unless something monumental happened. Now, why did she? See, when I read the Bible, I can't just read it. I've got to ask myself questions about everything I read. Like, why does she say, by this time tomorrow? Why doesn't she just send out a bunch of guys, arrest him on the spot, and do the work? Why wait 24 hours? Why did she hesitate? Well, I can think of several things. Perhaps she felt that she had lost the support of her husband. And that she needed time. See, it's, it's, it's great to be queen, but it's better to be king. And she needed him. She needed his support. To do what she wanted to do with this great man of God, she had to have the king on her side. And she knew that her husband did not want to kill the man of God. After all, <laughs> yeah, Jim's going to preach my sermon for me right quick. He had just seen, right, Jim? He'd stood up there on Mount Carmel. He saw the lightning fall from the sky. He had seen that altar go up and smoke and the sacrifice go up and smoke and the water dry up. He had seen the rain begin to fall as this man began to pray. <laughs> he had seen him at his best. She needed time to get him back. And then she also felt that she needed time to get the people back on her side. She knew that it wouldn't be easy because they too had seen everything her husband saw. They too saw the lightning fall. They too saw the rain come down. They feared Elijah. And the truth is this. At this point, listen, beloved, now listen to Pastor. Elijah shouldn't have problem one. This is a man who should have found himself at the top of the world. He held all the trump cards. I mean, everything was working in his direction. And you would think after all that Elijah had experienced over the past three and a half years, he would have known this. You, you would think that he would have known that his God was more than able to not only provide for him, but also to protect him. But Elijah, when Elijah was intercepted by that messenger from Jezebel, who presented her threats, Elijah forgot all of this. And suddenly he found himself filled with fear. In fact, listen to the words of 1 Kings 19.3. And when he saw that, it should be, and when he heard that, and when he heard that, he arose. Now this doesn't strike me as he sat around and thought about it for a while, spent some time in prayer, 
ask God's advice, got God's sanction. No. He just said, and when he saw that, without hesitating, he arose and ran for his life. Now, here's what's crazy about this. And went to Beersheba. That's a hundred miles away. I've driven it in a car. You don't want to drive it in a car, and you sure don't want to run it. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He's running. He's running for his life. Now, does this reaction bother you? It bothers me. It bothers me. <laughs> I just can't tell you how much it bothers me. Why would this man, who had stood all alone against 450 prophets of Baal, who had stood all alone in the face of all kind of oppression, why would he run for his life? This hardly seems fit with what we've learned about him. This man was strong. I don't get this. It's just, why would the threats of this one simple woman shake him to his core? Why would the prophet who had raised the dead, remember this, he has raised the dead. He has stopped the rain from falling from the skies. Why would he be afraid of this woman Jezebel? But he was. He ran for his life. You know, Elijah's situation reminds me of Sir Francis Drake, the great British sailor. You remember Sir Francis Drake? Was his book, was his book The Golden Hind? I believe it was. But anyhow, after a great military victory, naval victory, he chose to sail his ship up the River Thames because he wanted to show off a little bit. Because he, they say he was a pretty good-looking guy. He wanted to sail up the Thames in front of Parliament, the Tower of London, resplendent with all of his military stuff and all of his medals. And maybe Elizabeth would see him and her heart would twitter a little. And so he sails up. But guess what? He gets about even with Parliament, and an enormous thunderstorm broke out. And waters came rushing in from the sea up the Thames in great big waves, and the boat is just being tossed up and down. In fact, it tossed so violently that it appeared for a while that his ship was going to sink right there in the River Thames. And someone standing near him heard him say, I've escaped the rage of the ocean dozens of times, and now I'm going to be drowned in a ditch. <laughs> That's where Elijah found himself. Man, I've been in some real battles, and now I'm going to be killed in this little skirmish. Now, beloved, I said all that to say this. This happens all the time happens to us. Even the strongest believers often find their faith shaken because of some minor difficulty or other that has arisen in their lives. That certainly would be the case with Elijah. Look at him. Can you imagine the rea reaction of Elijah when the rain began to fall after three and one half years? He was supercharged. That was, this was so much the case that he reached down, the scripture says, got down like this. Reached back and grabbed the end of his robe, pulls it up above his belt, tucks it in his belt so that his legs are bared. And then he begins to run, not behind the king's chariot, in front of it for 15 miles all the way to Samaria. Now, that is some race. 
I mean, this guy, when you can out gallop a chariot, you have done something. I mean, this guy is so full of joy and enthusiasm that nothing seems to be able to stop him. But then he gets this word, and he begins to run. What's his destination? Of all places, it's Mount Sinai. 200 miles away. He's taken off for his life, and man, he is going to go where he is totally out of the reach of this crazy woman. At one moment, he's out running a chariot, and the next moment, he's running for his life. Now, beloved, it's important that we don't become confused by the reactions of Elijah. Now, I'm well aware that there are those people who look at Elijah's flight, and they condemn him for his lack of faith. Now, the question is this. Was it wrong for Elijah to run for his life in the light of what happened? Was this wrong? After all, he was not the only man of faith to do this. You know that? In the book of Acts, for example, we read how the Apostle Paul fled from Damascus after being lowered over the city wall in a basket in the middle of the night. And why was he lowered over the wall? It was because of people in the city who were plotting to kill him. He fled to save his life. I could give you a dozen examples. And over the centuries, many other faithful believers have gone into hiding to save their lives. But now having said that, I must say this. I believe that in Elijah's case, fleeing for his life was the wrong thing to do. Why? It was because Elijah's prime motive in running away was fear. Just abject and total fear. I don't believe Paul was a bit afraid. I think Paul knew that he had a mission to perform. He had people to bring to Christ. He had promises that had been made over him by Ananias the prophet. Those things had not been realized. So he knew that his life was not up. And so he goes. Certainly he believes in God's ability to protect him. But he leaves. But now, that kind of thing wasn't present in Elijah. He ran simply because he was afraid. In fact, here's what's the matter with it. Second Timothy. Second Timothy, one seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. What Elijah had did not come from God. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Don't try to tell me that at that point in his life, Elijah was in a sound state. I think he was so full of fear that he had had destroyed that in him. God does not give us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. My friends, God tells us this. What does he say to us? He tells us to cast down fear. When those fears begin to arise in our life, cast them down. Why? Because fear doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. Beloved, if you want to live a life of love and power, if you want a sound mind, Never accept what is not yours. Don't accept anything that isn't yours. Fear does not belong to you. It doesn't come from God. If it's not yours, don't accept it. Cast it down. Cast those fears down. 
in the name of Jesus. Do not receive them. Now, unfortunately, Elijah did not rebuke his fears, and he fled in a state of panic. And as I mentioned earlier, Elijah's reaction is, a t- is just totally strange to me. I'm shocked. Just think for a moment about the special place this man occupied in the kingdom of God. Think about it. Elijah was the first of Israel's great prophets. Did you realize that? He was the one from whom all other prophets came. The first man God called to this office. This is a true man that is unique. He was the forerunner. Through him, the Lord had revealed his divine power again and again. In fact, his victory over the prophets of Baal was a victory of the Lord's kingdom over Satan's kingdom. No one had ever possessed as much divine power at that time in history as this man Elijah. Elijah could call for a drought and it wouldn't rain. Elijah could pray for a boy who was dead and he would sit up and take nourishment. Elijah could appear to be totally unafraid when he stood before a king who had been searching high and low for him to kill him. Elijah could call fire from heaven to devour the sacrifices he'd put up. Elijah could pray for rain and showers would fall in abundance. Elijah would later call down fire from heaven to strike down those soldiers who came to arrest him. All of this because the power of God's kingdom was at work in this man. And that's why his flight was so shocking to me. But there's another thing about that. It's the fact that it would become a stumbling block to so many people, what he did. You see, to the average person, it looked as if the kingdom of God had bowed down before the kingdom of Satan. But even worse, Elijah was confessing before Jezebel and the men and women of Israel that the ability of Jezebel to harm him was far greater than the ability of Israel's God to protect him. The biggest issue of all. Fear, doubt, unbelief is really a form of faith. It is your faith that your circumstances have more power to harm you than your God has to protect you. That is the source of all fear, doubt, and unbelief. You see, if Elijah had only exercised faith and not fear, he could have used God's power to finish the job he had started. If Elijah would have only chosen to believe God, there would have been no reason for him to flee. Remember this, beloved. Elijah was important to God, but so are every single one of you. You're important to God. Now, Here's how important Elijah was. When it came time for a young prophet from Nazareth in Galilee to go and offer his life for the sins of the world, God needed to prepare him. He needed to tell him what this was going to look like. And so... They went to a place that we call today Mount Tabor. Strange mountain that rises right out of the plain of Jezreel. Jesus goes to the top and he takes with him three of his disciples. Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. And suddenly, 
Jesus began to radiate. A glory came upon him. His raiment turned white to the point of being blinding. His disciples had to cover their eyes. And suddenly, with Jesus, was two men. Moses was there. And Elijah was there. Tells you something about his role. Why those two men? Because Moses represented the prop of the, the law. He told Jesus in that meeting everything that the law had to say about what he would experience. And Elijah was there to represent the prophets. And then he shared everything the prophets had told him about what was to happen. Now, if I would have had an appearance like this, and somebody had told me that I was going to be scourged until the skin was falling off of my body, that people would spit in my face, beat me with reeds, drag me off, hang me on a cross, I might have said, I'm afraid of that. I don't think I can do that. But thank God we have a statement in the Scripture. I think if Elijah would have been told those things, he might have said no. But the Scripture says this, someone greater than Elijah has come. Our Christ was even greater. Why? Because for us, He laid down His life. That in shedding His blood, you and I might have life. And that more abundantly. Let's don't be too hard on Elijah. God's going to redeem him. And we're going to see that next week. So that's my teaching for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Aerial Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at aerialministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Aerial Ministries in Thoraka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Aerial Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit aerialministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family start. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future.